Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, toward the end of chapter 5, and we've been looking at, um, at, at husbands and wives, and, and, and part of what we've been seeing in Ephesians is that God is uniting all things in the universe in Christ. And we could say that statement uh, many times over, and the gravity of it might still be lost on us. Even as we grow in awe in understanding what that means, we still will only begin to uh, grasp a a finite portion of that. But there will come a day, church family, uh, when our lips shall continue to uh, to, 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 to repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And Christ will bring us home if you are a follower of Jesus. Uh, We often talk with many people, and I feel this myself at times, like uh, the battle is getting too hard. Life is too difficult. There are challenges that I, I can't control, and I just I don't know how well I'm going to continue keeping on. And God's promise for us is that He will bring us home. If you're His child, He has given you the promised Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, which we learned earlier in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Craig uh, preached for, uh, for us last week and did a great job looking at uh, verses 22 through 25. And so we're going to continue this morning. 25 will overlap some for sure uh, and, um, and move into um, uh, 25 through the rest of, of 33 this morning. So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, if you'll read with me together the word of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Christian husband, love your wife for her eternal good. We often think about how do I live in this life in a way that expresses love toward others. We know 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us not not to be self-seeking, that I'm not to keep a record of wrongs, and, and we can often get quite focused on the temporal aspects of what it means to love. Now, surely there's overlap. Surely there are temporal uh, decisions that we make, there are temporal impacts to the decisions that we make, uh, but that are, that, that are also um, eternally minded or have an eternal impact. And men, God is calling us for those who name the name of Jesus to love our wives, not simply to be nice to her or to hap- live with the sort of happy wife, happy life mentality, which, which is, I know we joke about that a lot, but can be pretty self-focused. You know, if I keep my wife happy, then I'll, uh, I'll get what I want or I, I won't 
get what I don't want for sure and different things like that. And so we can have all kinds of mixed motives, which is why the psalmist prays, unite my heart to fear your name. And it's a prayer I pray often because there are times that in one moment, I want to glorify Jesus with uh, every fiber of my being. Many, many fibers of my being. But there are parts of my heart that I just want to hang on to that I'm not really ready to surrender to the Lord. Which is why we ask the Lord's help. Lord, would you unite all of my heart so that all of me wants to glorify you? In the areas that I know may seem easier as well as the areas that, that are fearful, where I'm not sure how the outcome is going to go, when I surrender to you, when I submit to your will. So unite my heart, Lord, to fear your name. When the Apostle Paul commands husbands to love their wives here, he is, um, he is opening their eyes to a new paradigm, which is brought about by the way that God has distinctly loved them and us by extension in Christ. This is important for us to grasp. You see, there was an old paradigm that said, husbands loving your wives was not part of the cultural practice. Maintaining order in your home, absolutely. Having authority in your home, sure. Being domineering in that Greco-Roman culture, you better believe it. But basically, in their day, men were tasked with primarily providing for their family and making sure that they were safe. And much beyond that, there was a lot that was, that, 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 that was acceptable in their culture, much of which we would not look kindly on today. And, and so when the Apostle Paul says, love your wives, this command to love wasn't heard of in this way. And so it was a double take. Wait, let me, let me see if I heard that right. It was countercultural. What I would submit to you, it may be still more countercultural today than we would want care to admit. To, to, to love our wives in the same way that Jesus Christ loves the church. And while it was cultural to them, it's not a new command. You may remember from a couple months ago when we looked at the, at the, at the book of Malachi, um, we see that this, this, this new way or this new paradigm is not entirely new in God's plan, but it's reintroduced and it's regirded or re-undergirded by the foundation of Christ's love for the church. But God has always intended that people love one another selflessly. It should go without saying, but of course it doesn't because we're here preaching God's word this morning to sinners and saints who need to hear God's word. But God has always intended that husbands love their wives for God's glory. Listen to Malachi 2, 14 through 15. Now, you just may remember uh, that the, the, the God's people in the book of Malachi were, um, they were, they were, a little, they were a little miffed with the Lord. They were not loving their circumstances. Life was challenging. Life was hard. They were economically in not a good situation. And so the Lord challenges them and the Lord takes them to task on several accounts, one of which is how that they are 
not loving their wives in the way that the Lord wants them to, or maybe even not loving their wives at all. Listen to Malachi 2, 14 and 15. They're complaining at this point, and they're saying, Lord, why aren't you hearing our prayers? We're asking you to bless us. We're asking you to give us these many different blessings that we, we want, but you're not listening to us. And the Lord says, but you say, well, why does he not? In other words, why does he not hear your prayers? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Now listen to this. And what was God, the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in the Spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Marriage and family has always been purposeful to the Lord. Remember, since the beginning of, uh, of time, God is raising up a people through whom he will declare the praise of the glories of his grace to the entire universe. And so when somebody follows the Lord... And then they follow in the Lord's practices, being sure not to marry somebody who worships another god, lowercase g in the Old Testament, you might say, then, uh, then, then they are able to worship and serve Yahweh together. And then their children will grow up under the blessing and the tutelage of parents who train them in the ways of the Lord. And that will be a blessing, and they will be a blessing to, to many nations, because then nations who don't serve the Lord will recognize and see, oh, this God provides for his people. This God loves his people. This God goes before his people. And so this has always been a part of God's plan. But here in Ephesians, Paul commands us, Christian men, love your wives. And Paul, Paul drives this point home as he repeats this several times, even in these verses. So Old Testament, New Testament. Men, we're to love our wives with an eternal purpose. Love is the priority for Christian husbands. Love is the priority. God did not, men listen here, God did not command you to make your wife submit to you. God commanded your wife to obey the Lord and to render herself or to submit herself to your headship as the leader in the home. And God commanded you, us, to love her. Well, I'd love her if she just... Isn't that how our disobedience goes? Lord, if you would just make my life easy, I'll obey you. If I just have enough money, I'll pay my tithes. If you find me the right Christian girl, I'll date a Christian girl. But other than that, I got to find somebody to date. Got to find somebody to marry. Some of you are laughing too hard at that one right there. God did not prioritize our role as the head of our homes over our responsibility to love. In fact, our responsibility to love our wives for their eternal good is the only way that we can faithfully live out the role that God has called us to, to be the head of our home to love and to lead with sacrificial leadership. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That means according to knowledge. Know her. Ask her questions. Understand her, her fears and, and her hurts. Well, she hasn't been doing that to me. I love how Craig just said, well, she's the woman. You're the man. She's the China. And you're the tumbler. Thank you. I lost the word. Craig, they paid attention last week. Praise the Lord. <laughs> She's the fine china. Men, we're the tumblers. Don't excuse living selflessly with your wives. Don't excuse not loving her or, or, or uh, telling yourself that it's okay for you to, to make her submit. You love her and you entrust her response to you, to the Lord. Because in fact, it's her response to the Lord. That's what's happening. But your level of or manner in which you love her is your response to the Lord. For how the Lord has loved you. So Christian husband, Paul tells us that we are to love our wives, love your wife as Christ loves the church. So Jesus' love shows us, he, he models this for us, how we're to love our wives with an eternal goal in mind. We already said that 1 Corinthians 13 gives us many characteristics of how we are able to love. What does love look like? And we're challenged by it each and every time that we read it. But Paul zooms in on a more particular love that a husband is to have for his wife. It's motivated by two parallel statements that we see. Number one, as Christ loved the church, of which you are a part, men, if you name the name of Jesus. You are a part of the church, which means as Christ has loved you, and as Christ has given himself up for you. We see the word her there. It's referring to the church. As Christ has loved the church, of which you are a part, and given himself up for the church. Love your wives sacrificially. We see that in the second half of, of 25. Christ demonstrated this love by giving himself up for the church on the cross for our sins. Now you think about everything that happened prior to that. We think about the pain. We think about the agony. We think about uh, the discomfort. We think about the, the humiliation. We think about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times he went and he prayed. He prayed with such a fervor, such an intensity that he was, we were told that he had dropped sweat drops of blood. Asking the Lord if he would take this cup away. Asking the Father. And he would go back to his disciples whom he asked to stay and pray he found them sleeping. He'd wake them up and he'd challenge them. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I, I get it. I got something going on over here too. Can you stay awake with me? And can we do this for like an hour? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. He goes away. I mean, they're gone. Three times. And Jesus goes away and he prays, Father, if there be another way. And the father says, no. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ loved the church in such a magnificent way by being willing to become sin 
He did not sin, nor was any sin ever found in his mouth, but he became sin. You see that cup? I don't believe that cup was that Jesus was afraid of the pain. I think Jesus could figure out a way to endure that pain. He did it for for 40 days as he uh, went without food and he was tempted by Satan. He figured out how to handle all those temptations as he entrusted himself to the Spirit of God working through him. But, But praying for that cup to be taken was not a desire to avoid the pain. It was a desire... It was a desire not to have to become associated with the most detestable thing in all of the worlds. To become sin. Christ loved you that way. To become the most despicable thing before God in order that you might have the opportunity to have a relationship with the king of the universe. Christ's sacrificial love sets a high bar for us, husband. Anything that you just really don't want to be doing for your wife? Is it inconvenient? Is it um, just not fun? Or is it the most despicable thing according to God in all of the universe? Well, God hasn't called you to do that. But as you live with your wife according to knowledge and you understand her and you seek her eternal good, there are many, many ways you can sacrificially give yourself up for her. Christ set aside his own interests and he accepted. He laid down his life for this humiliating death on the cross. Philippians 2 tells us his posture. Who Though he was in the form of God, did not, equi- did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Gentlemen, brothers, the only way that we can sacrificially love and serve our wives is by humbling ourselves. And not by defining what's woman's work, what's her responsibility, what's my responsibility. You can figure out the the administration of your home together as a couple. That's fine. Uh, Sherilyn has certain things she does. I have certain things I do. That's fine. We all all make some of those decisions. But at the end of the day, gentlemen, there is nothing that is beneath us in loving and serving our wives. There is nothing that is beneath us in how God has called us to love and serve our wives. And if there is, it's because we're not low enough. Lord, would you humble us? Number two, live purposefully with eternity in mind. The the world paints this love as a state of blissful ecstasy. You fall in love and you fall out of love. And in the movies, there's music. And in life, there's no music that accompanies it usually, right? Unless you're uh, in a certain environment or whatever, and there happens to be music playing, right? Obviously. So we get this this, this movie picture uh, experience of what love is like to be, which is nothing like real world love. It's nothing like biblical love is. Uh, romantic love, it's, it's unplanned, right? It's full of spontaneity, full of adventure. Everybody's always smiling. And, 
has the purpose of making you happy by meeting your needs as you determine what they are, which can change in our fickle hearts. When we got married, I felt like I had this set of needs, and then now as life goes, now I have these set of needs, and I am maybe even secretly demanding that my wife meet those needs, accomplish the purposes that I have determined are appropriate for her, rather than me flipping the script on myself and saying, how can I serve my wife? I know this, you see, because I was recently not feeling well, and my wife graciously served me in more ways than I even know. She knew what medicine to give me. She knew what, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. I just, I literally don't even know all there is to know about how she served me and how she has taken care of me. Well, the the script is flipped, and she's not feeling so great right now. And I'm trying, I think I'm trying to work sort of hard at it, but I'll tell you, couple times, <laughs> 14 times or 42 times, I have thought, well, she's pretty good at taking care of herself. I don't say this. I don't even like to say this in front of you. And I have thought... I've even been calculating this week in how I know that I'm not even serving her the way I need to. There have been a couple times where the Lord has just broken my heart about that. There is always room for growth in this area, men. Our love is to be purposeful in how we serve her by sanctifying her is the example that we see about how Christ sanctified us in verses 26 and 27 or set her, the church, apart unto the Lord for his purposes by washing her with the water of the word of God. Now now here, and we don't have time to delve into it too much, but here uh, we see this picture from Ezekiel chapter 16, which paints a very vivid picture of Israel as a nation, pictured as the birth of a child, very quickly growing up into being a full-grown woman of a nation, if you will. And we'll just say it in kind of two swaths, and you can read it more later if you like. But when Israel was a young nation, she was this, 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 this infant in its naturalness when born, bloody, umbilical cord still attached, not a pretty sight. I mean, I, okay, listen, I know uh, that, I just realized Tessa's pregnant here, so um, I just, sometimes, you know, a baby is born and we all go like, oh, it's so precious, but the moment they're born, it's, they're only precious to two people at that moment, and then we clean them off. I hope I'm not being disrespectful, like, am I alone in this, or... Thank you. The Lord says this is who we were as a nation of God. Not everybody looked upon and said, oh, what a beautiful, flourishing nation. No, it's, you need to be cleaned. You need to be bathed. You need to be cared for. You need to be given ointments. You need to be 
pampered. You need to be grown up. You need to be fed. You need to be nourished. And then when she, Israel, grew up, God entered into a covenant relationship with her, and he bathed her with water, washed off the blood, anointed her head with oil, and clothed her in, uh, with the finest materials, making her exceedingly beautiful and fit to be a queen. Ezekiel 16. And here he's speaking about the washing of the water with the word, meaning the gospel of Jesus. You you, you and I have the privilege of of looking at our wives and seeing our wives in, in whatever state they're in. Whether they seem beautiful to us or pitiable to us or, or uh, however you might, we, our minds are, our minds go any number of ways. And the, the point is that God is saying, regardless, it is your job, men. It is your call. It is the purpose of your existence if you are married to see her, wash her with the gospel words of Jesus. Help her set her sights on God's vision for who he has made her to be. And live with her in radiant, committed love so that she feels the weight of it, so that she feels the benefit of being loved, so that she knows she doesn't have to question the love of her husband. She doesn't have to buy the lies of the world. She doesn't have to believe that she's not pretty enough or thin enough or tall enough or short enough or working enough or working more, more whether a job's outside of the home or inside the home or whether she has enough children or, or no children or what, whatever the case might be. She doesn't have to worry about any of those things. Social media doesn't phase her because she's knows that she's loved by Jesus because she has a husband who casts a vision of Christ-like love toward her over and over and over again. I don't feel like she does that to me very well. It's okay, Tumblr. You get that from the Lord. You let the Lord take care of her heart. You pray with your wife. Pray, pray, pray for her. Pray for her with her. I don't know how to pray. Okay. There are many prayers in the Bible. I mean, I just just gonna flip back one page. And I'm gonna personalize this. Lord. I pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you would give her the ability to be strengthened with power through the Spirit of God in her, so that Christ would live in her heart through faith. God, would you... Help her be rooted and grounded in love. And will you give her strength to understand with all the Christians in the world what is the breadth, how wide, and how long, and how high, and how deep. And to know the love 
of you, Jesus, that surpasses our ability to understand it. And that she would be filled with all the fullness of God. It takes no creativity. You you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to pray the right prayer, but, but pray for her. If you know her, ask God. Ask God to to meet her needs. Ask God to satisfy her. Ask God to to fill her with confidence. And not a confidence that's like the confidence of the world, but a confidence that is a confidence that comes from Christ, which cannot be shaken off. Because it's a gift of the Lord, which God loves to give His children as we look to find it in Him. Men, pray with your wives. It can be at the end of the day and you're laying in bed. You might be mad at each other. You might just be tired. And you reach over and you grab her hand and you say, Lord, it's been a fill-in-the-blank kind of a day. Thank you for this wife you've given me. Help us love each other until the day you take us home. Amen. Or, God, I don't know how to pray very well, but I love my wife, and you gave her to me, and I want to treat her right. Will you help me? Amen. Read the Word with her. You, you, you don't have to always teach the Word to her. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. You But open it, and find a passage, and read it. Some would say, well, I'm not, very good. Uh, I'm not a very good reader. Well, that's okay. Get your wife together. Well, get her together, but get yourselves together. Open the Word. Say, Lord, will you help us love your Word? Honey, will you read these couple verses? And she'll read it, and you'll be worshiping God together as a family. Men, it's our responsibility to step out in leadership in this, however imperfectly it may be. But walking in faith means understanding the will of the Lord for our lives and taking some steps, one step at a time, of faith-filled obedience. Men, grow in the Word as well yourself so that your vision of life aligns more and more with God's purposes and that she hears God's Word coming out as you speak. The more time we spend in the Word, the the more God's Word will begin to flow from us. Your wife needs to hear you speak in ways that align with the way that God has called us to live. So love wants only the best for the one that it loves, right? And it can't bear for a loved one to be corrupted or misled by anything that is evil. And so anything that is unclean, anything that is not like the way that God is calling us to live. What are some ways, men, that in our families we may be living according to a way that God has not called us to live? We don't want that for our wives. Why? Because we're not looking at this finite temporal place that we live called earth or our home. We're looking to eternity. We're not fixing our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's going to burn one day, but what is unseen is eternal. And so our vision is set in eternity, men. And so we want to live with eternal priorities. We want to cast that vision before our wives continually. We will continually be seeking to help 
purify her from any of the defilements of the world. You know, I love reading the story of Job, and, and Job was a, uh, just a God-fearing man who, who, whose family was celebrating, and in that day there were certain feasts that they would have, and, and he would just remain before the Lord, and after the feasting was finished, he would just say, I'm going to just offer sacrifices for my children, because the oh, Lord only knows what happened during that party. And so I'm going to consecrate my children. I'm going to consecrate my family. Why? Because I love them, and I don't know what happened, but I'm going to be before the Lord on behalf of my family. Whatever that looks like for you men, it's what we need to be doing. We want to protect her from the contamination of the world. We need to help protect her holiness. We, men, we do not need to make her feel like she needs to compete with an image of something that we may be looking at on a screen. Help guard her heart. Help her know that she is cherished. Don't, don't entice her toward things that maybe you even both agree on that would be fun or maybe a good use of money or maybe not a good use or a godly use of money, but a fun use of money. Don't, don't entice her. Hold God's priorities for the things in life that he has given us to manage before her always. God's priorities for your marriage are to be your priorities, Christian husbands, and we, we need to live to honor them with our wives. I said this a few minutes ago. We need to be continually casting vision. That sounds more formal than I mean it, but just, that just means we need to be continually pointing ourselves and her back to Jesus and our purpose on this world. We see these beautiful pictures in the Old Testament about how the bridegroom makes his bride presentable. The bride doesn't do that. It's the bridegroom who, who labors to, to, to beautify her in order to present her to himself. He, his love and his, his self-sacrifice for her, his cleansing and his sanctifying or setting her apart are all designed for her freedom and her perfection or completeness when at last he presents her to himself in full glory. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, dare I put it like this, the beauty specialist, speaking of the Lord, will have put his final touch to the church and the massaging will have been so perfect that there will not be a single wrinkle left. She will look young and, and bloom with youth, with color in her cheeks and her skin will be perfect without spot or wrinkles and she will remain like that forever and ever and ever. Do you see how Paul shows the implications of Christ's headship over the church in the way that the bridegroom is making the bride ready for himself. Husbands, as Christ has loved the church, love your wives. The, 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 the church's head is the church's bridegroom, and he doesn't, he doesn't crush the church's spirit. He sacrifices himself to serve her in love in order that she might become everything the Lord longs for her to be, namely herself in the fullness 
of all of God's glorious gifts to her. And what's beautiful about this mosaic is God has created each man and each woman completely differently in this, well, not completely differently, but to be, to, 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 to live for and to accomplish different purposes, to have different strengths and different giftings, to have different hardships that we've gone through in life. But all of these things are being woven together into a beautiful tapestry that God is weaving together. And it is our job to say, Lord, I want to do whatever I can do to help her be the most beautiful, the most vibrant, the most free woman of God on the face of the earth. Help me love her in that way. Love her by caring for her as you would yourself, for she is one with you. Now, this next phrase seems a little bit jarring because he goes from this uh, a very picturesque uh, image of how the Lord has, has, uh, is setting us apart as the church, uh, sanctifying us by the washing of the water with the Word, and then he goes back to love her like you would yourself. It just seems like, oh. Well, see, the assumption is that you love yourself. That's why he goes there. Look, guys, at the end of the day, here's this beautiful picture Here's this beautiful picture of what this can look like. But at the end of the day, you're going to love yourself. You're going to take care of yourself. Love her like that. Your needs, her needs, prioritize her needs. In the same way that you would go after your needs, identify her needs. Prioritize them. Set her needs before your own Paul assumes this theology of oneness. We see it in, in, uh, as he quotes Genesis 2, 24. He says uh, in, in verse 30, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Church family, you, you may remember not too long ago, Paul encouraged the church for how church members are to love one another. Why? Well, because Jews and Gentiles are no longer two, uh, two tribes. They're no longer two races, but God is bringing them together. God, Christ has came and he preached, uh, he preached peace to those who were far culturally. And he preached peace to those who were near. And so now you're members of one another. Well, similarly, when you joined in matrimony, the Lord made you one flesh. So in the same way you take care of yourself, take care of her, love her, serve her. This is the reason a man and father shall, uh, I'm sorry, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two, well, they become one flesh. And then he goes and he speaks as he wraps this up, speaking about the motive for loving your wife. This mystery is profound. In other words, Old Testament saints did not get in on seeing this vision. They did not have the opportunity to hear or to see the full completion of how Jesus would come and use marriage as the most beautiful picture on earth to be able to communicate the gospel of God's love for His church. New Testament saints have that privilege the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the most beautiful model of the church's union with 
Christ. It's, it's a mystery, and it's profoundly great. It should boggle our minds. And the way that we love, the way that we forgive, the way that we bear with one another is all not because we're just trying to make it work. We don't want to just make it work for the kids. How many marriages struggle to stay vibrant after the kids move away and go to college? If you have young children now, focus on loving one another for your kids to see an example of the love that God has for them and for the church. So in that sense, for the kids, yes, but that's still secondary to living and loving and serving in a way that glorifies God. When you focus there, the kids will see the benefit. The kids will see in some way the beauty of it. A husband's greatest motive for loving and purifying and protecting and caring for his wife is Christ's loving, purifying, protecting, and caring for his own bride. Now, Paul gives this very succinct summary of verses 22 through 30, well, really 32, here in verse 33, right? He begins with this, this uh, pairing of love and submission, and he ends with this other pair of love and respect, Right? And so the love that he has in mind for, hus- for the husband uh, sacrifices and serves with a view, as we already said, to enabling his wife to become everything that God intends her to be. Ladies, can I have your ear for just a minute? Would you make it your vision, ladies, to be the woman that God created you to be, not the woman that God created her to be? God didn't create you to be his wife. God didn't create you to live with her skills. God didn't create you to live with her experience. God created you uniquely and wove together before any one of your days came to be. Psalm 139 tells us every day that was formed to be, God gave his uh, divine stamp of approval on it and said, I'm going to use the good, the bad, the ugly, the hard to help her grow, to help him grow be the man of God, the woman of God that I am calling them to be, to accomplish purposes that they have no idea of. The circumstances that they joyfully go through, the circumstances that they painfully endure may have generational ripples. But I'm working to wow all of the spiritual authorities and powers in all of the universe. And I, God, am uniting everything together in Christ. And so the, the, the submission and the respect that God asks of the wife express her response to God's love, God's purpose. And her desire for that will become what God intends him to be in his leadership. Men and, and women... When Christian husbands and Christian wives walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we yield, submit to His Word and to to His priorities, His control, we're mutually submissive to one another. Many, many times, 
Sherilyn and I will talk something through. And though at the end of the day, some decisions the Lord has called me to make, I can't tell you how many times I want to go one way and I know that God has given her the wisdom to help me not make a foolish mistake. And I serve her oftentimes by submitting to her perspective because I know that her perspective is God's perspective. This isn't to be a tug of war. If anything, we need to both be on the same end of the rope, pulling against the enemy as we walk toward eternity. We've seen so far Paul's burden in Ephesians, helping God's children see God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And he's shown us that through a body, a building, and now a bride. Heavenly Father, would you help us to begin to grasp the magnitude of the unity that you have created for us? You've created the unity, and you've placed us into this unity, and yet it's our call to walk it out. It's our call to to seek you for the momentary, for the daily, for the weekly, for the monthly, ongoing wisdom to know how to lovingly handle each situation, each perplexing circumstance, each trial. And we ask you for your wisdom. And we thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything that we need to accomplish these things. You haven't set out for us to accomplish them all today. But today, as men, we can take one step in faith-filled obedience toward what you call us to. And Lord... We're not always very good at asking for help. But may we even now, just in the quietness of our hearts, just cry out to you as men. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us? And we will strive to give you all of the praise and the glory for it all belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.